Welcome to the Wealthy Homes Podcast, where we help young Michigan families manage their finances and create wealth. I'm your host, Connor Bowserman, financial advisor with Preferred Financial Group. Welcome to another episode of the Wealthy Homes Podcast. Again, my name is Connor Bowserman, financial advisor with Preferred Financial Group. And today we have Sandy Derby on the podcast with us. And we're going to be talking a little bit about estate planning and then even the seven steps of estate planning and how that can help you and uh, your family. And so, Sandy, thanks for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you, Connor, for inviting me. This is exciting. So Sandy is one of the founding partners of Preferred Financial Group, along with Pat and Rob Harrison here at the office. But I'm not going to introduce her too much because she's probably better at introducing herself. So Sandy, could you tell everybody about yourself, especially if they don't know you personally? So I started in the financial services business in 1989. So I've been doing this a long time. And it's, it's kind of a transition. I started in the insurance side of the business, <clears throat> making sure that people's risks were covered, things like, you know, accidents and death and disability, making sure that those type of things are covered, because I think initially, that's the first thing we want to make sure we, we take care of. After that, I transitioned more into the investment and financial planning side of things. And I really got interested in the financial planning portion of it. I did eventually become a trust officer at a bank here in town. And that really opened my eyes to estate planning and the value of making sure that all of our documents are in place, that we think carefully about what would happen if and who would take care of it for us. As Connor mentioned, I'm one of the founding partners with Rob Harrison and Pat Gilbert, and the three of us actually started in the business together uh, in the insurance side of things. So we've known each other a very long time, and uh, we decided recently that we should all work together again. No, I think that's great, and I think that's going to lead really well into you know our podcast episode today, and I think you're going to be able to bring a different side of estate planning. And I know especially for young professionals and, and young families, estate planning is, is thought of being like for old people, yes. but unfortunately, it's for everybody. And, and it, it, it's really important to get these steps in place because uh, a lot of people think of estate planning as only a trust and a will. And there's a lot of other pieces that go into an estate plan besides those two pieces. And so we want to cover those today. Uh, and then the first five steps are going to be something that maybe you have or don't have in your estate plan. And then the last part is going to be that, that wills and trust part. So the first part that I wanted to touch on when it comes to your estate plan would be setting up your medical contact in your phone. So thinking of like a worst case scenario, you get in a car accident, your EMT gets to the car, they pull out your phone. Is there emergency contact in there? Mm-hmm. Emergency contact can obviously be your contact of who they're going to reach out to. Yep. This could be you know, your spouse or you know, a loved one or somebody that you would definitely want to be in the hospital if something were to happen to you. But then also you can add some other things in there. You can say if you're an organ donor, if, if you really have a non-resuscitate in there mm-hmm. too, mm-hmm. Uh, you can have if you're diabetic or if you've got some kind of a blood type there's a lot of different things that you can put in this medical ID. And this is something that every smartphone has the option to do. Yes. You go into your settings and there's a, a little medical ID that you can set up. I know for me, it's uh, my spouse is in there and then her phone number. 
And then I have some other information, you know, I'm not on like any medications. So that's a place where you could put medications in there as well. But that's a really easy step. It doesn't cost anything. And that's something that literally everybody can have and should have in their in their phone. So if they're like mine, my phone is password protected to even open it up. How does an EMT get to that? It's one of the few things that they can can open without actually opening up your entire phone. Wonderful. It's one of the main things on your on your front page. Or I think for most phones, you can have some kind of a clicking mechanism. However many clicks, it will open up a medical ID. And the same thing with like making an emergency phone call. It's another one. You know, mm-hmm. that's where you got to be careful with little kids. If they get your phone, they can still call nine one one. That would never happen. No. <laughs> Yeah, it's only happened to Nicole and I like twice. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's like the first easy step that we can we can take as advisors and and guiding our clients. Um, and then another one that I wanted to run through would be your second step, which is the write down passwords or write down your main password to a phone or a computer. Um, just for example, we've had somebody more recently; her father had passed away, unfortunately, and she had no way of getting into anything. You know, she didn't know the password to her dad's computer or his, his phone. Exactly. And, and with, you know, how sophisticated technology is today, if you try to enter in, it will just wipe the whole computer. Yeah. And so unfortunately, she really didn't have the ability to go in and, and see that kind of stuff. And it could be personal stuff that maybe that they wanted you to see that's inside this computer or phone. Mm-hmm. Um, there has to be at least one person that you trust to have that password. Hopefully you've got someone in your life that you would allow to get into your computer if you couldn't do it yourself, if they needed to get that information. I personally have a father who's a retired master sergeant. Okay. He's very private. And to get anything out of him is worse than pulling teeth. Mm -hmm. But he did agree the last time he went to the hospital to give me the password. I have no doubt it's been changed since then. Yeah. But that's all you have to give them, right? You don't have Correct. To, and that's just the password to get in. It's yeah. not like you're giving them the passwords to 30 other accounts and that kind of a thing, but at least you get them ability to get in and be able to see some stuff. Uh, that's it's really important. And if you have like a safety deposit box or a fire safe in your house, which I encourage you to have at least one of those yes. in your house uh, that would have kind of some main stuff, cash, Um, main documents, Mm -hmm. passports, that kind of stuff. You could just have a little slip of paper that says, this is my password to my phone. This is my password to my computer. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. Yeah. But at least that's an easy way. And again, it doesn't cost anything to do that. Right. And that protects you from, basically, it it gives you the ability to have somebody who can take care of things for you if you can't, if you're unconscious, if you're in a coma, or you just can't take care of yourself medically. You know, we have cases where people have automatic payments coming out of their accounts, Mm -hmm. and nobody knows what they are but the person. So it's a good idea to have somebody who can get into your accounts and see what's going on. Yeah, and I know I catch myself this too. It's an issue because all your stuff is electronically now. You get all your statements electronically. And so at least for the client that I just spoke about, her dad had a lot of paper documents that he was getting mailed to him. So at least she could go through that and see, okay, what was getting paid, kind of seeing the statements of bank statements or credit card statements. But young people don't but do that. No, young we people don't. don't. Young <laughs> adults are more inclined to do electronic. So 
it, you would have no way of, you know, sifting through files at home and figuring out what bills they're paying, what credit cards they have. So having a password is going to be very important to making right. sure that people who use electronics, you still have to have somebody who can get access. Exactly. Now, I think this next point and next step is probably one of the most important steps, and we'll cover this probably multiple times uh, throughout this episode, but it's going to be setting up your beneficiaries. Yes. And it, you can set up beneficiaries on a lot of things that you don't maybe think of inherently. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can set up beneficiaries on your bank account, which that's Correct. a big one. And then any retirement statements, uh, life insurance. So if you've got a retirement plan through your work, if you've got uh, an IRA or a Roth IRA or CDs, these are all things that you can list beneficiaries on. And the biggest thing that you're doing when you list a beneficiary is that it's avoiding probate. Absolutely. Yep. This is a huge uh, benefit because whomever is going to inherit it really doesn't want to go through the process of probate in order to claim that asset. And you don't want them to. It's time consuming. Mm-hmm. It's it's expensive. It's frustrating. And too often we find, especially with like employer plans, people forget to change their beneficiaries. You have primary beneficiaries and you have contingent beneficiaries. So the primary is gonna be the first person who would inherit when you pass away. That person then becomes the owner. The contingent is the person who would inherit if the primary isn't alive at the time that you die. So you're basically saying I have my first choice And if that person isn't around at my death, I have my second choice. Whenever someone inherits as a primary, they have it outright. They can change the contingent. Mm -hmm. They can, now it's theirs. They can give it to somebody else. But too often we find people haven't changed their beneficiaries when they've gotten a divorce, when the, the primary person has passed away. A lot of young adults will name their parents. And then they'll forget about that, and mm-hmm. their parents have passed away, and now they don't have a primary. Yeah, or they did it before they were married. Yes. So they need to update that. They need to update and, that. And a lot of people don't know that Michigan law, it, you have to put your, your spouse as the primary beneficiary. Exactly. Exactly. So on retirement accounts. Correct. So it's very important. We just had a situation here in the office with um, a client who forgot to change the primary beneficiary and it was still his Mm ex-wife and that that was kind of an ugly situation (laughs) to say the least (laughs) to say the least so it's very important when you do name beneficiaries when you have a situation that changes in your life you get married you get divorced you change relationships your primary beneficiary is no longer alive or you want to change that primary you need to make sure you go back through all of your accounts and change those beneficiaries. Yep. It can be pretty ugly if you don't. Exactly. Now let's talk a little bit about who you would put as maybe, especially a contingent, because I think that's the one that's overlooked the most. You, like you think of, you, you sign up for your retirement plan. It's like this like really quick process. Some person comes in, they talk about 401ks and investments and, and the plan, and, and then you sign up for this plan. And it's like you got to write down your beneficiaries on the piece of paper, or if you got an electronic account, you're setting it up. Typically, you're not putting your contingent. Most of the time, young adults are clueless. Mm -hmm. They don't have anyone. You know, if they're not married, they're just 
primary, okay, that's my parents. And then they don't think about a contingent. Oftentimes, even if you're, you know, married, you have children, you just put your wife or, or husband as the, the primary and you don't think about a contingent. Contingents, again, become that secondary if your primary isn't around, if they are deceased. So it's very important to think about that. It probably should not be your children because as minors, they actually won't get it until they're 18. But when they are 18, they get it all. Yep. And everybody can think of when they were 18, what they would have done with a, yeah. a large sum of money. Yeah, I can tell you all of my kids, it would have been fast and red. Yep. yep. And it would have been gone. <laughs> so the contingent beneficiary needs to be someone that you know will be responsible with it. And if you have children, you want to make sure that this person is going to be responsible for taking care of your kids because that money is not available even to them if they're taking care of the kids until the kid's 18. Yeah. I know one of the things I typically tell people if they don't know who to put, I just said, who would probably be the person that would be in charge of your funeral? And that's unfortunately the person that's probably going to be your contingent. Yeah. Whether it's somebody that's really close to you or not, I mean, that's unfortunately where it's at. And then then there's the conversation that you need to talk to them. Hey, I put you down as a contingent. If the worst case scenario, something happened to me and so-and-so, mm-hmm. you'd be getting this money and know that this isn't money for you. It's for my kids or for whatever your situation is. Exactly. And you have to be able to trust this person. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very important to have the primary and the contingent. It's also very important to make sure you constantly update those as your life situation changes. Exactly. Don't leave it to your ex-spouse. So kind of moving to the next step uh, would be like your medical directive. And I'll let you kind of tackle this, Sandy. What's a medical directive? Well, there are actually three medical documents that I am adamantly encouraging my clients to do. And the first is really the HIPAA form. So when you go to the doctor's office and you sign that form that says that you agree that they can give your medical information or they can get your medical information, that is specific to that particular facility. You can do a general HIPAA form, which is a health insurance or health information privacy protection act. I'll give you an example. My son, when he was in college, was in a snowboarding accident. They decided to go snowboarding off a cliff. Smart. Smart. Even smarter, that not being high enough, they built a ramp. (laughs) (laughs) He was the first one to go off and the only one because he ripped up his shoulders and is just, it was a mess. He's in Colorado. He's over 18. I'm here. I get a call from his friend. We're taking him to the hospital. Okay, fine. I call the hospital. We can't talk to you. He's an adult. Do you have a HIPAA form? No, I did not. So I couldn't get any information about him. If you are over 18, you need to have a HIPAA form signed for anyone who can at least call the hospital and find out if you're there. So those are generic. You can pick them up online. It simply says, I give this person permission to get information about me, to know that I'm here. That person is not making medical decisions for you. That form only gives them permission to 
ask about you. So if you're a young adult and you're not married, you definitely want to have your parents have those. Mm-hmm. Or a sibling, something like that. If you're married, you want to have your spouse have it. You would think spouses have automatic rights to know about each other. Some states they do and some states they don't. So the HIPAA form is extremely important. And like I said, you can pick that up online almost anywhere. I believe we have it on our website at yep. Preferred Financial Group. And we'll, I'll even include the link in our, our show notes. As Wonderful. Well. So the next one is the medical power of attorney. This is the one that gives someone the right to make medical treatment decisions for you, to talk to the doctors about your treatment. Basically, it's someone who's going to help in your care. The medical directive is the person who you give the authority to make a decision about ending life, pulling the plug. So the person who has medical power of attorney and the person who has the medical directive don't necessarily have to be the same person. As you might imagine, if you've been helping somebody in their treatments and care and taking them to the doctors, and you've been dealing with their medical issues and doing everything you can to make their life better for a year or two, that person might not be the one who'd be as willing to end things, even if you want them to. Right. So the medical directive can be the same person, but it's literally the person who you are saying, this person is going to follow my wishes. I have one daughter that would and Mm -hmm. one that wouldn't. Right. So I know which one has to be the one to make that decision. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, even for a spouse, I think that's like almost an impossible task. It's so hard. It's so hard. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So beyond the medical directive, then that's when you get into the durable power of attorney, which is more of the financial aspect. Correct. Um, You want to hit on that a little bit? Yeah. The durable power of attorney is literally the most powerful document that you can sign for someone else. You are giving another person full authority to act as you in all financial situations, your bank accounts, your investment accounts, everything. So this has to be a person you trust implicitly. There is nothing you wouldn't trust this person with. It's a very powerful document. You can use it if if I'm on the golf course and I just don't want to go in to sign a document at the bank with my husband, he can say, you know, I've got this durable power of attorney, I can sign for her. I had one attorney tell me, this is my lazy husband document. I don't want to come in. I, I just, I'm busy. So it's very powerful. A springing power of attorney only allows that person to act on your behalf, to sign on your behalf under certain circumstances. So maybe it dictates you have to be fully disabled. You have to be declared incompetent by two doctors. Those are the type of things, a springing power of attorney. And I would recommend that if you're a young adult and you're not married and you don't have someone that you trust implicitly, a springing power of attorney gives someone the authority to act in the worst case scenario so that somebody can't just sign off on your bank account. There has to be specific situations that come into play. And I think the springing power of attorney is probably the best choice for someone who doesn't have a really 
strong faith that the person they're going to name has their best interest at heart. Right. No, I think that's right in line with kind of what I was thinking. And, and it's a hard one to put down. And it's probably one of the one document out of these five that we've kind of gone through already that gets left behind. It does. It gets left behind. Most of the time, people don't even think about doing a, a power of attorney, durable or springing, until they're in advanced age. Right. They think, okay, I'm getting pretty old. I better have my kids put down, you know, to have authority to do things for me. But it really is important, even if you're a young adult. Right. You have assets. You know, you have bank accounts. You have a car. You have, maybe you have a home, maybe you don't. You have a, a rental agreement on property. It's important for somebody to be able to help you take care of your finances. Mm-hmm. That kind of leads into the next part, and these are probably, again, the parts that are associated with people who are older, even though it's probably even best for young people. Absolutely. Uh, And that's your will and trust. Yes. And a lot of people think that they're the same thing, and they're not. They are not. And your will is a document that basically will still go through probate, unless Mm -hmm. it's combined with a trust, but basically it's just a document stating who gets what. Exactly. Who gets my car? Who gets my couch? Who gets, you know, my dog? Mm-hmm. You know, that that kind of stuff that maybe has financial value, maybe it doesn't. Right. Um, it could be priceless items that are valuable mm-hmm. to you, but yes. maybe to Joe Schmo on the street, it's just junk. But those are the things that you can put in your will that can really help your family from fighting over. Hey, I want mom's china. I yes. want dad's guns. I want you know, these different things. These are things that you can take care of as an adult that could help out with your family. And we've seen it numerous times. Fortunately, families do fight. Yes, they do. Even the best of families that get along wonderfully. And I tell people that a will is very specifically a letter written to the probate court telling the state how you want them to distribute your assets. Mm -hmm. Why do they have to do that? Because anything that we own, especially things that have titles, cars, houses, bank accounts, they cannot remain in our name after we die, especially property or something that's going to be taxable because, you know, we're dead, so we can't Mm -hmm. pay taxes anymore. The state wants to move that on to someone else. So the will tells the state exactly how to disperse your assets. It is also, in your will, you name guardians for your children, which is very important. Mm -hmm. You do that in a will. Now, a lot of couples don't agree on who they want to be the guardian. So they may have two wills. They may each have a separate will. Um, That gets complicated. Mm -hmm. Probate is a long, expensive, complicated process. You're going through the court system. It's backed up. It takes time. I've had situations, a family with four sisters who inherited their mother's house and a small $20,000 bank account. It took two and a half years. They did not disagree about anything. It was just time. Mm -hmm. So to avoid probate, you would do a trust. So the trust, most people think of as something that you have to be a multimillionaire to need a trust. Well, that's not true. The trust is basically a way of doing what the state would do 
but doing it ahead of your death. We're going to transfer the title and ownership from you as an individual living person to a trust, which is John Doe as a living person, John Doe as a trust. All you're doing is taking it out of your name now and putting it into the trust. You still own it. You can still buy, sell, spend, give it away, do whatever you want. But you've basically said to the probate court, thank you very much for your services, but I don't have anything. You have nothing to probate. Why don't you have anything? Oh, well, because I already gave it to the trust a long time ago. And the trust does not have to go through probate. So anyone could have a trust. You would then name a trustee who would take care of dispersing your assets instead of the court doing it. So I think it's a, it's a great way to avoid the cost and expense and hassle of probate. Yeah. Probate really doesn't want to do all that work. They're yeah. overwhelmed. They don't, they just are happy to find out that you wrote a will that said, thank you very much for your services, but I die with nothing. Mm-hmm. And I think the best way that I, I heard somebody explain a trust is basically you're starting up a corporation, you're setting up a company, and you are the president and CEO, and you're in control of everything. Absolutely. And then what you're doing is you're just naming, essentially at some point in time, when I step down as the president and CEO, whether it's by choice or not, mm-hmm. that then who's going to be the president and CEO of my new corporation? That's exactly and, right. And that's really what a trust will do. And mm-hmm. the biggest thing that I see as a, a gaping hole in most estate plans is and I just uh, met with somebody not too long ago, and they had a trust, but nothing was funded inside the trust. That's an unfunded trust. Yeah. And that's, it's, we wouldn't say a worthless document, but it pretty much... It's pretty much, much a worthless <laughs> document. It is. Yeah. And so, like what Sandy was saying, is you have to put things in the name of the trust yes. to basically fund that. So that would be your house. And mm-hmm. You go to the county clerk, you and... say, I want to change the title, mm-hmm. and you actually give ownership by title. Mm-hmm to the new trust. So you have to do a little bit of work, change your bank accounts. You can still write checks, use your debit cards, whatever. As, as Connor says, you're, you're still acting as the president of your own corporation, but now you've changed the title to the trust. And so there's no ownership when you die. And I think that that's, that's a huge relief, not only to you, but to the probate court, honestly, Mm -hmm. They're overwhelmed. They don't want to do your business. Right. And kind of going back to step three with the beneficiaries, a lot of times your spouse is going to remain your primary, but then that's when you can list the, the trust as the contingent. So yes. if something happens, especially if you have young kids, then it goes by the trust and the will. Where are the assets going? Who's going to take care of the kids? Mm-hmm. And, and how can they use those assets to take care of my kids? That's an, The trust is another way of making sure that people who maybe don't have an awful lot of assets, they're not multimillionaires, but having the trust as available to be the contingent beneficiary makes the transition much easier if something happens to your primary. It automatically goes to the trust, doesn't go through probate. The trust then can say, who's going to take care of your kids? Who's going to manage the money for them? So having a trust as a contingent beneficiary, that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Going from here, if you have more questions on the estate planning part, you can always talk to us as financial advisors here at Preferred Financial Group or your personal financial advisor if you have one. And then at some point, it's probably going to be important for you to go talk to some kind of estate planning attorney for that will and trust, if that makes sense for you. 
But again, those first five parts are things that you can do that really don't cost anything. It's just a little bit of time. So you got the medical contact in your phone. You can write down your passwords, setting up your beneficiaries, some kind of a medical directive. Those are free. You just go to your doctor's office. You can get most of those right there or they're available online. And then there's also the durable power of attorney. Yeah, or the springing power of attorney. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, on the medical directives, medical power of attorney and HIPAA forms, highly recommend the HIPAA form at least as a very minimum. But you can do most of these documents without an attorney. Most of them are, even if you go to your state representative, your local representative, most of those offices have uh, fill-in-the-blank type forms for medical powers and HIPAA forms and even a will. Well, that is going to be wrapping up the episode, but before we're done, I'm going to ask you the question that I ask everybody that comes on. Okay. What is a piece of advice that you would give to another young family? It doesn't have to be investments or estate planning or anything even particular to financial planning. It can just be a piece of advice that you've learned that you would want to pass on to another young family. I think it's very important for young families to have someone that they trust to communicate with, professional relationships. Um, I know that there's an awful lot of stuff available online, but I think it's very important that you have a relationship with someone that is a financial professional who can guide you through Mm -hmm. each of the stages of life. So... Find someone who's willing to work with you now when you don't have a lot of money um, and, and maintain that relationship through all the life changes that you're going to go through. I think that's great. Yeah, I think, I know, especially when I was in college, mentorships was like the big thing. Um, now it's all paid mentorships, but yeah. but yeah, having mentors, whether that's professional or mm-hmm. just some kind of a life person that you can go to and talk to, I think yeah. is really important. Absolutely. I know there's things that I've bounced off of you know, family or friends and maybe even other colleagues that I don't work with that, hey, I need somebody who's not related to me, not a part of my situation to be able to give me some good advice going forward or in this decision that I want to make. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, ask for referrals of, you know, ask your friends, who do they talk to? Is there someone that they trust? Mm -hmm. It's always good to have somebody that someone else trusts. Well, I think that wraps it up. Again, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. Our number here at Preferred Financial Group is 269-978-6000. You can ask for anybody here, and we'll point you in the right direction. Thanks again for coming on, Sandy. Thank you so much for having me. It was great. Thank you for listening to the Wealthy Homes Podcast. Be sure to click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Connor Bowsman or Preferred Financial Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investment advice. Always seek the advice of Connor Bowsman or other qualified financial advisors with any questions you may have regarding this episode. Connor Bowserman is a licensed financial advisor and any of the investment advisory services offered are through Harbor Investments, member SPIC. Products and services provided are not NCUA insured, have no credit union guarantee, and may lose value. Consumers Professional Credit Union and Marshall Community Credit Union and Harbor Investments are separate and independent companies, and credit unions are not providing security services.